And welcome to the Hypocritical Podcast brought to you by Pawbox.com. I'm your host, Chris Templeton. Federal law requires your medical practice to be HIPAA compliant. This means that the way you protect patients' medical records and other information adheres to HIPAA standards. In order to be HIPAA compliant, you must Analyze the vulnerability of patients' electronic medical records that are stored at your office or off-site. Make sure that all protected health information, or PHI, is encrypted. Create and implement policies to address PHI that has been compromised, stolen, or misplaced. Have you ever wondered how to maintain HIPAA compliance within your healthcare task management applications? Well, in this episode, that's what you're going to find out and a whole lot more. Whether you're in IT, a physician, or in the administrative side, you're going to love what we are bringing you today. Today, we have Mike Doctor, a practicing gastroenterologist and co-founder of Doc.Health to discuss this topic in greater detail. Thank you very much for having me. It's our pleasure. Um, Mike, you have quite the background from being a currently practicing gastroenterologist uh, at Boston Children's Hospital. And while you were there early on, you were the clinical director of innovation and the director of clinical mobile solutions at Boston Children's Hospital. And I guess that really led you into Doc.Health. Is that right? Yeah, it's been uh, quite the journey. I think um, health in many ways is the embodiment of all the things I learned in trying to implement technology for clinicians at, at a you know, major institution like Boston Children's. Um, you know, I, I, I long held the belief that clinicians should benefit from the tools of mobile technology and all the, the great user experiences that I can offer and spent you know, a better part of 10 years at Boston Children's trying to bring those tools to clinicians and other providers um, and, uh, you know, really learned a lot along the way and, and had my own sort of challenges with managing all the clinical to-dos. And that was kind of uh, the beginnings of Doc Health. So talk a little bit about kind of the background in, in the early days before Doc Health. And, and I mean, in the physicians that I've talked to, I think one of their biggest pet peeves, at least in the last 10 or 15 years, has been the user interface that they have to deal with for medical records, that sort of thing. Talk about kind of what the things were that you saw early on that led you to say, you know, Doc.Health is really going to solve these issues that physicians face on a regular basis. Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, uh, one of the first realizations I had was that, you know, the user experience of clinicians in general is this painful process of logging into an electronic health record, which is really, for anyone that's seen it, a user interface that was built in the 90s, and that, that would probably be generous. Um, and, you know, we spend our days clicking through the electronic health record, our back to our patients, and that was an incredible frustration to me. So that point number one was there's got to be a better way for clinicians to interact with their patients. And a better user experience because we spend so much of our time in the electronic health record clicking away and not focused on what's important, which is the patient. Um, couple that with all the things that come out of good clinical care, which is all the sort of to-dos that, you know, and when I see a patient in clinic, there may be, you know, two, three, even half a dozen tasks or to-dos that I have to somehow remember. And my challenge was always like, I could barely read this chicken scratch in the back of my clinic note with the little checkbox next to it. 
Um, and that, you know, that doesn't scale very well. And so over time, I became increasingly stressed and anxious that I was going to forget one of those things or I was going to drop a ball. And never mind, I could, couldn't possibly hand that off to my team and say, hey, here are all the to-dos I have. Can you help me with this? Because I'm completely overwhelmed and, you know, up to my eyeballs and to-dos. And that's the, you know, we hear about, I'm sure this is a topic of other um you know, podcast, you know, the burnout of the clinician. Um, and, you know, that, that sort of trickles down to not just the clinicians, like physicians and nurse practitioners and nurses, but the admins and the staff that are there to help. And, you know, I'm constantly amazed that we just don't have a good way to collaborate securely and to help those to-dos get done. And, you know, at the end of the day, I've got three little kids. I want to go home and be with them. I don't want to be managing all the to-dos and I certainly don't want to be managing all the sort of stress you know of all the you know all the things that were left undone um, and this is you know today's Friday so it's a good day to sort of recall um, a pain point that I had which is that you know I would leave on a Friday afternoon before Doc Health was around and I would have no I, I would be certain that I was going to forget something that something over the course of the week was going to get dropped that I was going to forget something and then come Monday morning I'd learn that one of my patients was in the emergency room because I forgot to fill something out or call something in and I'd disappoint someone or I you know wouldn't take as good a care of my patient as I wanted to um, and you know with doc what, what we were able to do is simply create a task assign it to the right person on the team with patient context and suddenly, I may not have been able to do all the things I needed to do, but I knew what had to be done and I knew who was responsible for doing it. And that sort of clarity of purpose and um, just process and structure uh, really was like this magical thing that completely lifted the weight of me leaving work on a Friday afternoon. So this Friday, I will leave work, uh, whether it's a podcast or clinical care, and know what has to be done and know who's responsible for it and hopefully fewer balls get dropped and we're more efficient in taking good care of patients. It's really the David Allen getting things done uh, philosophy of getting everything out of your head and on into some kind of a system, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the challenge or, you know, what I consider myself very lucky um, is that, you know, I was, I spent a good part of my time at Boston Children's in technology. I worked with software teams. I worked in our innovation program. I was the clinical director there. And we worked with a number of startups and we managed a lot of projects and software development. And engineers had these great tools like Jira and Trello and Asana and all these sort of wonderful project management or task management tools where people could collaborate and they could work together for a unified purpose of creating software or managing a project. And I, it just amazed me that we didn't have that for something as essential as patient care. And so I had the good fortune of meeting the right people. I had a great user experience designer, co-founder, Kether Romehilt, who um, spent 20 years in consumer tech and, and offered to help me with the project. Um, and, and this was the perfect project. And I had a wonderful technology team led by Nathan Goudral, who's our CTO now um, at Boston Children's. And he unfortunately came with us as we launched out the company, um, but he helped build the technology. So, you know, it's, um, it's just, it's amazing to me that we are the first and only HIPAA compliant task management platform built for healthcare. Well, um, and, and that's really the, the other point to cover is, you know, a, a big piece of this is, as far as I can tell, is how do we take better care of doctors by giving them tools that they don't feel stressed out throughout the day and over the weekend and hope Monday's going to be okay. Yeah. And then there's the whole other issue of HIPAA compliance. 
And, and I think most people have a tendency to think of HIPAA compliance primarily being around patient information, but there is a whole nother aspect that you're dealing with, with doc health that deals with HIPAA compliance that I don't think most people think about. Talk a little bit about what that piece is of HIPAA compliance that you're dealing with in doc.health. Yeah, I mean, you know, healthcare, as anyone who's listening to this will know, is just incredibly nuanced. And so there are, you know, there are many HIPAA compliance solutions out there. In fact, there are now HIPAA compliant, you know, um, I believe even Trello or Asana um, have HIPAA compliant versions. Um, you know, that to me does not mean that it's built for healthcare. And I think that Paul Box probably um, feels similarly in that like HIPAA compliance is not equal built for healthcare. Um, of course, it's important and essential to manage patient uh, protected information or patient health information or protected health information appropriately. And we um, make HIPAA compliance with regard to the management of data super easy. But what I think is essential and critical for us is our laser focus on healthcare. And I believe Pavox feels the same way. We are focused on the nuances and the workflows and the sort of needs of the healthcare environment. You know, we have patient contacts as part of every task. We have you know, the workflows that are built in healthcare, the sort of team management and process management that happens in healthcare. And so we are foundationally and fundamentally HIPAA compliant. That's where we were from the start. So we didn't slap on a HIPAA compliant layer afterwards and, you know, do our best to manage that process. It is in our DNA. Um, but in, on top of that, we're really built to serve the healthcare ecosystem and trying to build something that's not just for, you know, pediatric GIs like me, but, you know, we have yeah, dentists using us and, you know, mental health providers and internists and, you know, even other healthcare startups um, that just simply need a tool to manage all their to-dos with patient context. So uh, it's exciting, but HIPAA compliance is complicated and we try and make it easy. So, Talk a little bit about coming to the idea of Doc Health and explain for our audience a little bit about what it is and how it kind of operates and makes your life uh, simpler throughout the day. Yeah, I think, you know, what we uh, are on a mission to do is to make, and you said it yourself, Chris, we, we want to make it easier to take good care of patients by taking care of the providers. And and just to, to step on the soapbox for a moment, you know, providers are traditionally thought of as physicians and nurses or nurse practitioners. We think of providers in more of a holistic sense that providers are basically anyone that's helping in the provision of care with patients. So that could be the person at the front desk, that could be the scheduler, that could be the person who is, you know, on the phone with the insurance company and make sure that your stuff gets done, you're taken care of. So we are trying to bring the providers together on the same page. And what invariably happens is that people have their own systems. They have post-it notes with little check boxes on it. They've got Excel files that are on one person's desktop. They've got a paper checklist on another person's desk. And we use email as the way to collaborate in healthcare. And for those that are just listening, I'm using air quotes because you know email is not really a collaboration tool. Um, and it's not a way to manage tasks or processes. So you know what we've done is really created a very simple tool that allows a clinical and administrative team to work together in the context of taking care of patients. And so very simply, you know, like if, if folks know how Trello or Asana or any of these sort of task management tools work, you can create a task, you can assign it to a person on the team, or you can assign it to yourself. It could be your personal to-do list, which I use quite often. 
Um, you can add patient context so that I know that this task, you know, call back this patient is for this patient with all their appropriate sort of demographic information and contact information readily accessible, which is another thing altogether. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can add all sorts of other bells and whistles and metadata that make it easier to do. We allow you to add attachments. So if there's a PDF that's part of that sort of prior authorization process, you can attach that. You can set due dates. You can tag or label things. You can add comments. You can call out your colleagues to nudge them so that you, you can check in on a process. And then beyond just simply creating a task and with all this sort of structure, you can start creating protocols and templates for this sort of commonplace, uh, I would say mundane tasks that we get bogged down with that are really, really error prone. So invariably, we help practices with their new patient onboarding. That typically is a process that is handled by like five or six different people. Each of them have a different part in the puzzle and they invariably you know, double back and, and duplicate efforts. And the patient gets called twice to find, find the medical records, but it turns out they already had it. And, you know, someone called to schedule an appointment, but it had already been made. And, you know, then everyone looks like, you know, they're not doing their job well. And why aren't you guys talking to each other? That's the, I hear that from my patients all the time. How come you guys don't talk to each other? So um, our intent is really to get everyone on the same page with the unified purpose of just helping the providers take better care of the patients and, and ultimately making it easier to do so. And I think one of the things that's really fascinating about what you're saying is your recognition of, of providers being beyond the physician. And obviously, you guys are at the, the heart of that. But to be able to look at the whole environment and say, how can we help everybody work together better? It, it, as I understand it, it's providing you providers, everybody in the office, a much better more, uh, I guess, transparent process and also creating at the same time for uh, your patients a much more seamless process that feels like you guys, you've got it together. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, it's amazing and for those that are in healthcare, that really, you know, like true quote unquote providers, clinicians who see the sausage get made, you know, we often are amazed ourselves at how often things go right. And I think it, the reality is it's, it's um, just the fact that we've all done it for so long. We know the system, we know the process, and generally speaking, things go right. And we we're, we're all have the best intentions. But what, what the truth of the matter is that there are plenty of balls that get dropped. And, and we put as a, as a practice or as a provider, we put so much impetus on the patient to make sure that they're staying on top of the process, right? And that, that's wrong. Like that's not good patient care for me to say, hey, make sure you call my admin in like three days because that's when this process is probably going to need some, you know, like nudging, like we should have that down. Um, and, and so to me, it was a frustration. Um, and that's why I'm so passionate about this. Um, we're really on a mission to just help providers take better care of their practice themselves and ultimately the patients. The, the two things that really strike me are number one, the idea of a process, uh, protocols and put it in place. And really it's, it's at its most basic level. It's really about solid lists, isn't it? That you can check one thing off after the next and have yeah. a process to follow. And listen, we learn in med school about the importance of communication, but we don't have good communication tools. And, you know, being on the same page and um, being able to collaborate is essential, especially with the complexity of patient care. And we are just simply not given the right tools to 
do this stuff. And every other industry has benefited from these sort of valuable tools, which is why I found it amazing that healthcare didn't have a Trello or an Asana equivalent. And it's exactly why we're focused on building this. So, um, yeah, what I think uh, is really just important to note is, you know, the electronic health record does not manage tasks, right? It's really good at documenting the clinical record. It's really good at billing. Um, and it, it's obviously many of the common, uh, you know, EHRs like Epic and Cerner, they have inboxes. They have what is, in effect, email from 1996. What they don't do is really manage all the administrative stuff that has to occur downstream of the clinical event, right? So if, a, if I place an order or something happens uh, for a patient, there's all this stuff that has to actually get put together by the rest of the team that is not necessarily even in the electronic health record. So that's where these things like you, you see these desktops with post-it notes plastered to them, and you see the, the, the checklist on someone's desk that only they can see and no one else has transparency. So you, Chris, you started talking about this sort of like visibility. Uh, I think that being able to see where things are in flight, having accountability, having the ability to, to close a loop um, and really get everyone on the same page with the clarity of purpose and, and structure, um, I think is a really powerful thing that, you know, really healthcare has not seen this yet. So, um, you know, that, that sort of gets to one of the challenges of, of what we're doing is that we're kind of you know, creating new space in healthcare. We're, we're, we're challenged with um, the need to really educate the market on what task management is. Um, and, you know, in truth, uh, you know, it's great that there are other players in the space that are helping us. You know, Asana is now a publicly traded company. Um, it's great that they're, you know, educating the masses on what task management can do. Um, and it's a you know, wonderful tool and they're, you know, they're doing great work. And I, we're hoping to benefit from that and, and introduce this concept to healthcare because it's, it's needed more than anything. So when you look at kind of, you've mentioned a couple of times that all these other products out there don't understand what it's like to be a provider. Talk a little bit about the types of things that you bring to the table for physicians and in, in the whole provider environment that aren't available in other products like Asana or that sort of thing. Yeah, I, you know, I think there's the there's the short version and the long version. The short version is we, you know, of course we're HIPAA compliant. We make it easy to sign a business associate agreement for a small practice that doesn't have, you know, uh, committees of uh, ITs and security and compliance and those folks. So we make it, you know, dead simple. We also make it really easy to upload your patient profile. So if you as a practice said, I want to upload all my patients that are in our panel into docs so that we can easily create patient contacts with tasks, uh, we can do that seamlessly and, and in a self-service manner. Um, and where we're going, you know, is increasingly working in the enterprises where we're going to be deeply embedded in the electronic health records so that, you know, pulling patient demographics is really easy. Um, and, and, you know, without giving too much away about where we're going in the future, our, our hope is to really build increasingly automated processes. So all these sort of things that are very manual and very painful um, for the clinician, me, and the administrative staff, like how do we create that connective tissue in an automated way so that when I place an order for this, all the downstream things that are typically me getting on the phone and calling someone and asking and hoping that it works out, you know, we can now do that in an automated fashion. 
And then we can start, you know, um, giving practices and enterprises insights into where the bottlenecks are. Where where are we dropping balls more often? Where are the efficiencies and inefficiencies? How do we help add resources where necessary and perhaps scale back resources where they're redundant? Um, how do we refine that process? And again, laser focused on healthcare. We're not trying to solve problems in aerospace. One of the things that strikes me is that you have to have a really fine line to walk between having a system with a lot of structure, but at the same time, having a lot of customability, customization for your provider environment. How do you manage that? Yeah. It's a, it's a fantastic question. And it is, uh, it is quite a struggle. And I, I'm, I'm thrilled that we have, you know, a 25 year plus user experience veteran that has helped us navigate these waters. Um, what we've learned over time, and certainly I would uh, profess this as a, as a physician, you know, a lot of times in healthcare, we are given um, the one size fits all solution, uh, or what we're told is a one size fits all. Um, and it's jammed down our throats by the, you know, the IT enterprise. And it doesn't work for anyone because it was built for an N of one and it's trying to serve the needs of everyone. And so we've, we've very much taken that and tried not to do that and created what I describe as a very agnostic system where, again, it's being used by dentistry and it's being used by mental health providers and pediatricians alike. Um, it's meant to be very much, I, people laugh when I say it's choose your own adventure, but it's really meant to be very flexible and customizable. Um, while at the same time giving enough structure and uh, guidance. And you know, so first and foremost, we're an early stage company. I am you know, at the elbow and, and on the phone with folks all the time trying to make it as easy for them as possible. Um, you know, we talk to them about their workflows and their challenges and where balls are getting dropped and, and try and help them create that structure and process. Because as much as we're an awesome technology, you know, this is a lot of sort of cultural shifting and change management stuff that practices are struggling with right now. I mean, this is, uh, I don't know if this is a follow-on question, but COVID has made all this stuff more difficult, right? Now teams are more distributed. Um, they're thinner in some cases because they, they had to be furloughed or, or fired. And everyone's working in a distributed fashion. And now collaboration and, you know, coordination is harder than ever. Um, and so, you know, we're happy to work with teams to identify workflows and how we build structure and process around them and then help kind of nudge and push the boulder up the hill as far as managing the change that's necessary. And invariably what we hear is like, you know, we're just too busy. We can't do this. And, and we, you know, on our side of the, the house, we kind of scoff at that or we laugh, we chuckle a bit because, you know, we're throwing someone a life raft and they're like, no, I'm too busy treading water. I, I just can't do it. Um, but it takes inertia. We understand that. And so what we are trying to do is just educate folks on a little bit of effort it takes to get on and it will pay dividends significantly. So have you had to make changes in how your interface works to deal with coronavirus more effectively? Just the, the changes in terms of distribution of people, not all in the office, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Well, it's funny you ask. You know, we have been a remote first company. So um, my co-founder lives in California. I was in Boston. I've recently moved to New Jersey in the midst of the pandemic. And we have team members in Denver and in Boston and, you know, increasingly all over the country. Um, and so we've been on Zoom since before Zoom was publicly traded and 
Uh, I wish I had invested in that a lot earlier, but you know, we've been a remote company uh, from the get go. So for us, that's easy. I think at a, at a sort of macro level, um, you know, COVID and, and the impact of that on healthcare has changed how we, how we sell. Um, you know, we're now, instead of going to a hospital and having a big fancy meeting in a boardroom, like we're on Zoom with people and it's actually allowed, you know, scaling a company and sort of um, getting meetings. Uh, I think it's a lot easier than it probably was pre-COVID. Uh, when you look at your platform, what do you think the biggest uh, benefit to the healthcare industry is going to be in using a, a platform like this? Yeah. So, I mean, I think our hope is to really make it easier for teams in an organization to get on the same page, to, to reduce some of the friction, to reduce some of the redundancy. So the inefficiencies, the drop balls, all that. That's, you know, the, the first step is let's just get the team on the same page for the patients. Where, where we are going and frankly, where we're technologically able to do today is we can start inviting outside organizations or members, um, other stakeholders in a patient's care into that system. And now we can start to connect the dots of the sort of disparate challenges of healthcare and then the coordination of efforts across enterprises. So, you know, right now, if a practice uh, to make something up, if a pediatrician has their team on a, on a given set of tasks and we want to bring in the therapist that we often refer patients to, we can now invite that therapist into this list where we can co-manage patients and all the tasks and the to-dos that go back and forth. So the same is true if we're working with a, you know, a specialty pharmacy that compounds all of our pediatric medicines. And you know, that begins to expand and grow. So we're really excited about the network effect and the opportunity to really use something essential and simple of tasks to connect folks across healthcare enterprises. So not just within the small team, but across and then ultimately the patients. How do we bring the patients into the fray? and assign tasks to them and, and be in the loop altogether on, on where things are. So you're saying then that patients are actually have access to portions of the system that are appropriate for them. Is that right? So they will, that's, that's, you know, down the road. First, we need to, you know, get a, a solid foundation of um, clinicians and administrators and practices using it. And then our exciting, you know, future includes bringing the patient into the picture, which is where they belong, making them a member of the team, assigning tasks that are relevant to them, and then having a window on where their care is uh, with some transparency. So it's an exciting, you know, the pie in the sky at the moment, but I, there's nothing technologically limiting that. Talk a little bit more about that, though. You know, it's not something that you typically consider uh, a patient being a part of the team, but there's big advantages to a, a patient feeling like they're a part of the team, aren't there? Oh, absolutely. And there, there's tons of data, you know, a lot of it coming out of, um, you know, the care integration work that's being done at Boston Children's. But, you know, bringing a member of the, of the uh, sorry, bringing the patient and the family into the care uh, and into the fray as far as understanding what are the things that they need to be responsible for, what are the things that their team is responsible for, uh, that clarity of purpose is, is you know, demonstrably better care, um, and that's been clinically validated. Um, so, you know, our hope is over time to be 
um, a, a digital tool that allows you know patients to be part of that. Um, again, I think we're still a ways away from that. We first want to really nail the the clinical team getting a clinical administrative team getting uh, their act together. Um, but that is an exciting future to work toward. It's it's a a big undertaking. <laughs> what you're talking about. We're, we're happy to do it. We're excited to do it. I mean, again, this is, this is a total, um, you know, this is a mission oriented endeavor. This is, I left my, you know, full-time role at uh, an amazing children's hospital because I felt like I needed to help other clinicians and administrative folks take good care of patients. And the system is not helping us. Um, and so if we can be a little tool in their toolbox to, ultimately help providers get home to their families and enjoy their time and help them take better care of patients. That's what it's all about. So look down the road to say 2030, 2035, what's it look like from your standpoint? Oh my goodness. Well, hopefully there's no more pandemic. Um, Hopefully our political system is a little bit more clear. Um, I know. I think, you know, my hope, and, you know, frankly, if you rewind 10 to 15 years and why I went into medicine, you know, it was about the patients, right? It was about taking care of patients, looking them in the eye, making the right diagnosis and, you know, um, prescribing the right, you know, solution for their, um, for their problem. And what healthcare has turned into in the, you know, 15 to 20 years of been practicing is a bunch of administrative slinging of tasks from one person to the next and, it is not the fun thing and the amazingly impactful thing that I went into medicine for. And so I'm kind of on a mission to help bring that back to healthcare. And um, my hope is 10, you know, 10 years, maybe 15, uh, it better be there. But by 10, I think it's, it's possible that with all the cool technologies that we have out there, whether it's AI or it's all the sort of voice enabled um, services that are coming online, um, we ought to just be able to get back to the essential good stuff, which is that doctors and nurses and nurse practitioners and providers want to take care of patients. And all this paperwork and nonsense has gotten in the way. So how do we get back to that? And, you know, any sort of um, proposal that AI is going to put doctors out of, you know, practices, I think is nonsense. Uh, It's going to make them better doctors. It's going to make their decisions more informed um, it's not going to get rid of them. I mean, the human to human thing is what it's all about. Um, and I think so. My hope is for healthcare that, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, uh, we get back to the basics of just good patient care uh, from provider to patient. And all the administrative stuff that we're bogged down with right now is ma- managed by Doc and other systems that just make it happen. Very, very uh, impressive what you're doing, and I wish you the best of luck. Let's just move to a couple of questions on the personal side. You were very clear that a, a big piece of this is being able to come home and, and not stress over the weekend about what might or might not have been done. Talk a little bit about what you do to stay up uh, with industry trends and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm I am a um, a real lover of technology, and so I'm constantly reading. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge Apple fanboy, and so that sort of like opened up the world of technology to me. And so, um, you know, I'm constantly reading various uh, Apple, you know, Mac rumors and nine to five Mac, and um, but you know, things like Engadget and Ars Technica, and so very technology focused. And then, of course you know, get a bunch of newsletters. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of Twitter. Um, 
for better or worse, I, I put a lot of my thoughts out there and I certainly am on the receiving end of a lot uh, of real, you know, brilliant technologists. I mean, I think I, what I'd like to think is I'm a much more technology um, focused physician. And so I'm looking to consumer technology to inform what we ought to be doing in healthcare. Like we have this thing in healthcare that we always have to do it our own way. And, uh, you know, there are, there are people and companies and industries that have spent trillions of dollars in figuring out how to do it the right way. Like, why do we, let's learn from them instead of trying to do it our own way. So that, that is very much the space that I operate in. So I'm a student of consumer tech. The, the overlap and the, the Venn diagram is greater than, than uh, people want to believe it is, isn't it? Between you know, specific. Absolutely. Okay. Last question. Yes. What do you do to relax and de-stress on the weekends? Or in, or in the evenings. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big uh, fan of food and family, and so to the extent that we can, you know, get together a family uh, during these you know, challenging times, that we do that. I I become a, a like one of those typical sourdough fanatics, and I've <laughs> become um, quite the baker. And my kids love bread, so if, you know they request bread over you know cakes for their birthdays now. So I've per not only say I've perfected the sourdough, but I've certainly gotten really good at it. And that's, that's been fun because it's this fun blend of science and food and family. And um, those are all good things in my mind. Awesome. And now from the Pawbox news desk, we're pleased to announce that Pawbox now offers TLS 1.3 email encryption for all of its solutions. These include Pawbox email suite, the Pawbox marketing and Pawbox email API. Simply put, upgrading our email platform to TLS 1.3 maintains our position as the market leader for HIPAA-compliant email. Coupled with our high-trust CSF certification, customers can trust Pawbox to provide them with seamless, secure, and compliant email solutions. How do you take advantage of it? If you're a Pawbox customer, you don't have to do anything different to take advantage of TLS 1.3. If you send encrypted email via Pawbox, the platform will choose TLS 1.3 as its default encryption choice. This applies to Pawbox Email Suite, Pawbox Marketing, and Pawbox Email API. TLS 1.3 is the newest and most secure version of the Transport Layer Security Protocol. In essence, TLS 1.3 provides unparalleled privacy and performance compared to previous versions of TLS and non-encrypted SMTP email. If you use Pawbox for inbound email security via Pawbox Email Suite Plus or Premium, Pawbox will also select TLS 1.3 as its default encryption choice for incoming email. And that is a wrap for the Hypocritical Podcast brought to you by Pawbox.com. Thank you for being here. Thank you to Michael J. Doctor, MD, and Doc.Health for being our guest. <laughs>